Welcome to this Denver Startup Week episode of Turnpikers. Um, we have Trip here from uh, Dixie Elixirs, or I guess it's Dixie Brands. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. And uh, um, this is your second Boulder Startup Week, you were saying? It is. Uh, last Denver. year, we were uh, Denver Startup Week. Last Denver year, we Startup Week, sorry. Part of a corporate culture panel, which was really enjoyable. So um, I'm honored to be here again this year. And then last night, you went to uh, Mike. Mike Gelman was our, as everybody yeah, who knows, was our very first guest on this uh, podcast. It, he had a party last night that you guys went to. Tell us about that. <laughs> well, I can tell you uh, on that podcast, you either set a very high or a low bar. Yeah. So I know it was in, in good company. But yeah, about 3,000 people, he suggested, uh, were there last night. I think it wrapped up at around midnight. But uh, when I walked in, there was five grown men dressed as nuns doing Clash cover band songs. And uh, it was pretty overwhelming. And that's he did that at his office? That was at the office, yeah. 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 Mike Gelman's parties are, are pretty spectacular. I went to, uh, I think I met you at one of his Halloween parties uh, maybe 20 years ago. Yeah. Something like that. And you were probably dressed up as a, as a nun. As a nun, probably, yeah. yeah. For anybody who doesn't know him, he's, he is kind of a changed man. We were... Uh, <laughs> yeah, he is. He's we we very chill. In his office, I would describe him as mourning, uh, although I know he loves his wife and son, Jack. Yeah. Uh, but his life is dramatically different from uh, years past. Yeah, but, but nobody hung out and held out as long as he did. So I, that is I don't think anybody feels bad for, for Mike Gelman. All right, so Dixie Brands. Tell us about, I think everybody's familiar with your leadership in the consumable cannabis world, and, and you've been uh, really, as much as anybody, really one of the, the biggest spokespeople for, uh, for the industry, for the Denver, Boulder, Colorado cannabis uh, initiatives, and probably have, I, I don't know, one of the biggest businesses, if not the biggest business in the industry. Uh, mostly on um, on edibles and what do you call them, edibles and drinkables? Uh, infused products is the overarching category. Got it. What letter grade would you give that whole line of business now that we are uh, three years into it? Well, uh, the infused product sector. First of all, thank you very much for the uh, for the introduction. Uh, it, you know, the infused product sector is is arguably the single fastest growing sector in the uh, adult use consumption of cannabis category. Uh, I want to sort of debunk. Uh, a myth that there is no such thing as medical marijuana. There's cannabis for designed for medicinal purposes, and then there's cannabis for adult use. Uh, I use the uh, general statement, uh, adult use cannabis, because candidly, uh, it's none of my business why you're using uh, cannabis or, or marijuana. And so um, adult use uh, uh, infused products category is, is on a tear. And uh, certainly Dixie is one of the leading brands. I think there are many other great brands that are based not only here in Colorado, but now spreading across the country. There's, there's 31 states that offer some form of access to uh, adult-use cannabis. Uh, a majority of those are medical, if you will. Uh, five states, including the District of Columbia, offer some form of adult use. And then in November of this year, we're going to see a historical election. Most things that we do as an industry take place during these federal elections. We get out the vote. We get out the young vote. Uh, millennials are notorious for legalizing cannabis uh, programs. And so we're incredibly excited, specifically California, Arizona, Nevada, and Massachusetts are going to be battleground states where if, in fact, any one or all four of those legalized, we're going to see a massive landslide. And we'll probably ultimately see the federal, what I call the federal capitulation. Uh, but it's an incredibly exciting sector. I've, I've been a serial entrepreneur for about 25 years. I've been in the cannabis business for seven. Uh, it feels like dog years uh, because of the stress, the strain that you know we all have as startups, and then you layer over that fact that you have the 800-pound gorilla, which is the uh, federal government, 
In this corner, you have organized crime, cartels. Uh, don't forget, we took about a billion dollars out of those individuals' coffers last year alone from the sale of legal marijuana. You know, a lot of that is, I think, because of uh, the fact that cannabis has gone mainstream, in particular on January 1st, 2014, not too dissimilar to December 5th, 1933, which I don't think anybody was alive uh, in this room, but that was the end of alcohol prohibition. And what we did here in the United States, and specifically in Colorado, was historical. And so you asked me a question as to what grade do we uh, deserve? Probably a B. Um, I certainly think that we're doing an exceptional job. Remember, there is no MMJ for Dummies book. Whoever writes that book would probably be a very wealthy man or woman. But uh, you know, we still have a lot of room to improve. But I can tell you have thousands of men and women that are committed to building a regulatory framework uh, based on compliance that delivers safe and, and effective products. It's, uh, you, you've built an amazing brand. Uh, I think you know it's uh, probably one of the most notable. When you're uh, going into these new locations, do you have to kind of start from scratch? Are you guys uh, able to? How different are the uh, laws between laws, regulations, uh, et cetera, between all of the different locales that you guys are moving into? Yeah, well, I'll be honest with you. We as a management team, pardon my French, are getting our asses kicked right now because we were uh, able to build a business in Colorado over the last six years. And in the last uh, 12 months, we've been busy building out five new markets, which include California, which is now fully operational. We're based out of Monterey up in uh, NorCal, right outside of San Francisco. Um, last week, we received ATO authority to operate in Arizona and Nevada, two massive markets that will likely convert to adult use. Uh, and so we're building a machine or a mousetrap, if you will, that is properly designed. And then right behind that, we have Oregon and Washington. So um, before the end of the year, we'll have six markets, uh, likely all of which will be designed to serve the adult use consumer. And it's been overwhelming. Again, uh, there's an incredible amount of inefficiencies in the, in the market. We're not making cupcakes here. And so to be very clear, there's no interstate commerce. Everything is very, very inefficient. Everything is unique to the state that you're operating in cannot bring product across state borders. And so it's incredibly expensive. Last year alone, we spent about $30 million in cash on real estate. We don't do mortgages, we don't do loans. Uh, there is no traditional access to, to banking, if you will. And so it's a daunting task. In the industry that Danny and I are from, which is sort of startup tech world, the real switch for, for most of our businesses, they became mature when you started to have people who had been successful and been through the industry and had a, had a successful two, three, five, seven years, maybe had an exit or just were, you know, really had an operational or served as a contributor in that, in that business for, for a long period of time, at least, you know, close to 10 years. That's when you started to see it. Uh, you know, early on, it was people like Danny and I could get in the internet world. I had been a lacrosse coach before and I don't know, you know, you started right in as, as a high school kid because there was, there was no definition of what constituted somebody who had industry expertise, right? Everybody just got involved in it. You guys are starting to wrap that cycle up, right? Where you have people, whether they run dispensaries or whatever they do, this is not something that, that people did for years ago. Um, and, and so they're new to the business. Um, well, that's not 100% correct because most of the successful startup guys are now languishing in jail cells because they were the cartels, the Sinaloa cartel, if you will. And so they were not exactly role models to uh, replicate, if you will, or emulate, if you will. So, But people who've been successful yeah. above the table in the business, you're yeah. probably starting to see them recirculate back into the industry to make it more mature. And is that something that you've noticed has really changed it, where you're starting to see 
people come work for you who have experience in the industry, know what they're doing, have seen what constitutes success, have seen failure, and understand sort of how the business should work um, so that the pressure is, isn't on somebody like you to 100% tell people how to do their job. Yeah, in part, I think, you know, the reality is, is we took a unique approach. Um, just because you're passionate about cannabis does not necessarily make you successful in this business. And, and candidly, uh, just because you're a successful businessman or woman doesn't necessarily make you any more likely. Uh, I took a unique approach that I was not going to leverage the traditional workforce that potentially had been cultivating cannabis or distributing it in restaurants, bars, and, and parks. And I was going to build a team uh, that basically had traditional business skills or acumen, and then we were going to train them how to work with cannabis. And, uh, you know, I'll be blunt, that made me very unpopular in certain circles. I've been perceived for many years as an outsider, probably not so much anymore, but, um, you know, we took traditional business skill sets and professional experiences and applied them to cannabis. I mean, today, uh, to your point, we really look like a consumer packaged goods company. Uh, we have, you know, approximately historically about 170 products across 16 delivery systems, if you will, uh, product lines representing about five brands. Uh, and so, you know, certainly in the state of Colorado, cannabis has been commoditized. It's just another line item in your ingredient statement. And we're able to drive the cost of these products down because of that. But there are individuals uh, seven years later that are seeing um, exit strategies or liquidity events. And for many of those, they're not done. You know, they still have a lot of uh, passion uh, um, in them uh, towards our space. And candidly, we, we can't afford to lose them. So, but more interesting is you're seeing individuals that have graduated from Harvard. I have business analysis, uh, biz dev guys that are so incredibly inspired, coming from oil and gas, coming from other sectors of industry and, and flooding our space, which is uh, really going to be uh, an accelerant. It's going to be like what I call the slingshot. Did you or, uh, or your co-founders have any CPG experience or did you guys come at this with the, with the concept and figure it out as you went? No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I come from the traditional uh, telephony space. I was uh, you know, a quasi-technologist. I sold a company in 2001 and moved to Colorado in early 2002. Um, was gainfully employed for many, many years. Uh, and, you know, the reason I got into the cannabis space, I own bars and nightclubs just two, two or three blocks from here. And more and more and more men and women were enjoying cannabis both inside and outside the club. And the fact of the matter is people that enjoy marijuana generally drink less. And when you're in the business of distributing alcohol, that's not good for your business plan. And so ironically, I suggest to one of my off-duty police officers that was in my employee to encourage these men and women to get back in the club or presumably he was going to have to arrest them. And, and uh, it was that day or that evening that I was informed that we had legalized medical marijuana here. And so, you know, it's, it's been an interesting twist. Uh, but um, at the end of the day, I think you have literally thousands and thousands of individuals that are building businesses. Uh, rising tides are going to lift most ships. And uh, what we're going to face here in November is, is incredibly exciting. I can't figure out where I'm going to watch the elections, from what state. Tell us now m more specifically about infused products. What are the latest things that are being distributed and what is popular, what isn't as popular? There's everything, obviously, from, um, from soda pop to candies to you know, uh, baked goods, et cetera. What's the latest and the most interesting and the most popular that, that you guys are working on? Sure. Well, you know, we try and avoid the terms candies and soda pops for the obvious reasons that we don't want 
these delivery systems, what I call these innovative delivery systems, to be attractive to children. I don't know what the adult use consumer's fascination is with gummy bears, but it is all the rage. And for full disclosure, we don't make one. Uh, and it's probably cost me hundreds, if not probably millions of dollars over the last seven years. But we have always at Dixie Brands attempted to create, uh, innovate these delivery systems that allow you as an adult use consumer various options. Uh, fewer and fewer people are smoking marijuana, meaning with the traditional marijuana cigarette or vaporizer, uh, you know, volcano, uh, water bong, if you will. And um, you are starting to see it at worst, people that are vaping, uh, meaning uh, e-cigarettes. But fascinating, people still certainly uh, are enjoying to uh, ingest, uh, drink, and apply. Cannabis, our most popular product in the country right now, is a, is a synergy bomb. It's a topical. And to be very clear, that topical does not provide any euphoria. Uh, so there's no associated high with it, but it's delivering medicinal value to the end user. And um, it's, to me, I think it really debunks the theory that it's all about getting high or you know, blowing your head off, if you will. Uh, and then immediately behind that, of the top 10 products we have, seven are from our Synergy line. Our Synergy line is a THC CBD line, and I'm not going to get too technical, but CBD, cannabidiol, is the non-psychoactive aspect of cannabis. And so you have individuals, men and women of all ages and walks of life, that are embracing these products to achieve, probably at bare minimum, a level of wellness, uh, Luke, that they can't achieve from alcohol or opioids or, or tobacco products. And so uh, I'm really proud to see how that is evolving for the industry. Um, topicals are very, very popular. Now you're starting to see transdermals. Uh, uh, I just believe, um, I think it was Wilpie Goldberg just delivered to the market a THC-infused uh, tampon to assist with women's uh, menstrual cramps. So uh, there's a million ways in which you can uh, embrace cannabis. At a high level, it seems like uh, banking is still a huge issue with this overall industry. Are there any other uh, major factors or other you know, kind of big breakthroughs that you're going to kind of see in this uh, overall space? Or is, is banking really kind of the, the big blocker right now? You're 100% right, uh, Danny. I mean, the single greatest opportunity and the single greatest threat to our industry, uh, which again in Colorado alone was a was billion dollars, is the fact that traditional banking is not available. You know, asking somebody uh, about their banking is like me asking, you know, what your wife wears to bed at night. I may be curious, but it's none of my business. And banking is a very, very polarizing issue. Just about two months ago, I did an interview, my first interview ever related to banking. I did an interview with the Wall Street Journal and shared really the dirty little secrets that we've had to deal with uh, just two blocks from here almost every single night uh, from 2014 to mid-2015. Uh, we would strap on body armor. We had concealed carry permits, long rifles, armored vehicles. This is me as a middle-aged white man, you know, stuffing $50,000, $60,000 a night into cash ATMs. Most people do not understand that you could put money into an ATM. Um, and probably still even today, when you, that money comes out of an ATM, there may be a faint smell of cannabis. It's probably come from one of our facilities. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that is quickly resolving. I'm incredibly proud of our governor, Governor Hickenlooper, established a beta program and took the Postal Service Credit Union here uh, in the state of Colorado, bifurcated it, created half for the service workers, and then the other half for cannabis uh, business owners. There's about 4,000 licenses in the state of Colorado, and 65 of us bank with uh, that uh, credit union. And of that 65 uh, customers, we did about 680 million of the 1 billion. So there's a heavy, heavy concentration of customers that are, or, or I should say uh, licensees that are delivering that money to the bank. But uh, that is something that we have to resolve and we have to resolve it immediately because the industry is literally doubling year over year. And it's a public safety issue. I mean, any one of those nights where I was 
out on a street corner pumping, you know, had we been robbed, you know, if it's 5,000, I'll give it to them, but if it's 50,000, we're going to fight. And that's a real danger. I've expressed that to our mayor, who understands it clearly. I've expressed it certainly to our governor, who understands it supremely, and, and hopefully they're delivering these solutions to us. Other than the obvious legislative uh, doors that have been opened, which allow you to be in business in Colorado, what else has this community afforded you, and why is it a good place for you to be? Well, certainly uh, Colorado is the epicenter uh, of cannabis. I mean, all eyes of the world are on our state. Uh, again, I'm incredibly proud of our legislators who have the unenviable task of creating the laws to regulate this industry. Uh, regulators have the undaunting task of managing maniacs like myself who are uh, very high tolerance for risk and very aggressive. Uh, today we do ask for permission as opposed to forgiveness, whereas probably two years ago it was the, the opposite. But uh, you know, one of the things that I'm most proud about is our state has this seek first to understand and then be understood. And so what that allows uh, both of us as partners, as industry partners, regulator and business owner, is to really collaborate. And so uh, there's not a situation where they're dictating to us. Uh, certainly Dixie Brands has been a participant in almost every single work group that the state of Colorado's Marijuana Enforcement Division has, has ever established. And so they come in, they seek first to understand what we need to do, and then ultimately they go back, create a law, or form a rule or regulation, and then apply it to us. And I think that gives me as a cannabis business executive, a playbook. Um, in many other states, that does not exist. And for me, it would be tremendously ironic uh, to go to jail. I did an interview with Steve Croft about two and a half, three years ago on 60 Minutes. And he said, by our calculations, this was in 2013, you've achieved about 10 lifetime sentences for kingpin status in a federal penitentiary. How do you feel about that? And I said, well, you know, be honest with you, I don't think about it. If I'm in it, then the in the jail cell next to me should probably be, you know, Governor Hickenlooper because the state of Colorado in the last two years has realized about $200 million. Now, $200 million is not a lot of money when you have a state budget that's about $25 billion. Uh, but again, that's 200 plus million that is being applied to the building of federal education institutions. It's potentially going to the building of law enforcement for, you know, to fight real drug dealers. And it's $200 million that they couldn't have come up with any other way. Yeah, well, exactly. And states are not inclined to do more with less. And again, to emphasize, that was $1 billion last year. We're probably on track to do about a billion four uh, that did not go to the cartels. Uh, and so uh, cannabis has existed on every street corner in America for about 75, 80 years. So let's fool ourselves. If you'd rather have me selling it uh, to you or somebody up on federal name Rico or Pepe, not to be stereotypical, uh, you have to make that choice. My last question, what's the one thing that you would fix about your industry and maybe particularly how it relates to Denver and Boulder and Colorado? Well, if it was Trip Keeper Day, which rarely it is, I'd click my heels and the federal government would legalize marijuana, but I don't think that's going to happen uh, today uh, or probably in the not-too-distant future. What is the earliest that you think that that would happen? Well, I have stated very publicly on stage, and I'm willing to bet anybody usually a dollar or a thousand, that's how I like to gamble, uh, that I think it'll be as early as 2018. You're going to see, I think, either of these presidential candidates, which uh, candidly are probably neither are super great for the country, but I'm not going to get into that. But one in particular is probably more beneficial to our, to our industry. Uh, I think we're going to see that individual elected and ultimately a, a continuing softening, if you will. Um, and I think you're going to see probably three of the four states legalized for adult use marijuana. You're going to have what today is about 55% of the U.S. population that has access to cannabis uh, bumped up to about 75 to 78%. And you're going to see that tipping point. And I think when you see that, 
people are going to throw their hands up and say, enough is enough. This is not a dangerous narcotic uh, with no medicinal value that's highly addictive. That is what it's classified today on CSA Schedule 1. Uh, go listen to Sanjay Gupta. I mean, he's done more for marijuana reform than probably other individual in the, in the, in the United States in that he, he literally for 30 years preached against marijuana and apologized two and a half years ago, three years ago, teaching every one of us that he was wrong. And he's done now Weed 1, 2, and 3, addressing some very, very... Uh, hot topics or hot subject matter related to cannabis and how it's benefiting these uh, these these individuals. Thanks for coming on. Thank yeah, you very much. Great. Really appreciate, Thank appreciate you very it. Much. Congratulations on all your success. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. You bet. You've been listening to Turnpikers, a show about the people who make up the Denver and Boulder tech community. You can reach us directly and discover more information at turnpikers.com and follow us at Turnpikers on Twitter. Please send us your questions and recommend future guests.